Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. Welcome back to another episode of Parent Nuggets with RTH. I am your host, Michelle T. Henry, and as usual, it is wonderful to have you here with me. If you are new here, hi, welcome to my side of the world where we give you life lessons, stories, testimonies, and everything in between as we keep it real with no scripts, just vibe. If you are returning, I say thank you as always for keeping up with me and coming along for the journey. If you want to keep up with me, you can do so on the internet by simply googling me or (laughs) finding me on Instagram at Rochelle underscore T underscore Henry as well at Power Nugget with RTHJE, the podcast Instagram page. All this information and so much more will be in the show notes below. If you haven't done so as yet and you are so inclined, please to subscribe as we will be happy to welcome you a part of the tribe. Your support is always and will always be appreciated. Have you ever stopped to want to think what life is like with a disability? Greetings and salutations, my friend. I am Rochelle T. Henry, and it will be my pleasure to take you down that journey where we will discuss life lessons, stories, testimonies, and everything in between while we keep it real with no scripts just vibes so grab your popcorn and come along for the ride this is power nuggets with rth mic check one two three let me fix this mic here all right perfect you know what's fascinating to me and interesting actually the uniqueness of each host welcome the title like It's never always the same. And that's the way I like it. It is time for me to introduce to you your Power Nugget Give Up for episode 24. With the motto, it is no small thing to influence a child so fresh from the hands of God. Dr. Pauline Watson Campbell, some 37 years ago, started what is known as Jamaica's first inclusive early childhood institution as an occupational therapist by profession 
And I am pleased and honored to say that this is where my education journey started all the way back in 2004. In today's episode, in today's episode, we will talk about her journey up to becoming an occupational therapist and the inspiration she had behind starting the Macam Child Care and Development Center. And you might get a little insight as to the student I was going to that institution. I hope you enjoy. Most importantly, I hope you took some power nugget from it. This episode is in recognition of Education Week. You already observed in the first full week of May in Jamaica. Good afternoon, Dr. Watson Campbell. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Good afternoon. All right, so I've told you a while ago, and I'm going to say it again for the record of my listeners. Uh, it has been 16 years. How does that feel? Yes, yes. Yes, so that's true. Um, you've been out there for 16 years doing quite a bit, and we are really proud of what you are doing. And it is really my pleasure to be a part of your podcast this afternoon. I'm looking forward to spending a little time with you, Ms. Rochelle. So you may go right ahead and ask me all the questions you want to. And I will, you know, try to answer to the best of my ability. So thanks again for having me. Not the Miss Rochelle. <laughs> All right, so you are an occupational therapist, right? right. And, you're, and you're also the founder of Macam Child Care and Development Center. Right, yes, that's true. So mm -hmm. I am a pediatric occupational therapist, which mm -hmm. means that I, in my specialty area, because it's a very wide area, I don't work in hospital, but I work in education and I basically do quite a lot of assessments and therapeutic interventions um, with children with developmental disabilities, neurodevelopmental disabilities. And um, I really do enjoy what I'm doing. And um, I think over the years, I must have seen hundreds of children but I've also gone on to do um, educational psychology, which has also widened my understanding of, you know, children's presentations and so on within the educational setting. 
where I have been working for quite a while <laughs> because Macam has been going for 37 years, but previous to that, um, I had worked at the Michael Child Assessment and Research in Education Center, and um, that was for about five years. So I guess if you put it all together, I've been working in education as an occupational therapist for 42 years. That's a long time. A very long time. Yes, yes. Let's backtrack a little bit. How, how was childhood, how was growing up for you? My, my childhood? Okay, yes. that's going way back. <laughs> All right, so I grew up in the um, rural area um, in St. Anne, a place called Brownstone, and I am the first of nine children for my parents. Um, however, for a good part of my life, I actually went to live with my aunt and uncle who had only one older son, um, my uncle's older son. So I was, I went to live with them from, I was about age eight, went home for holidays and so on. But I really, you know, was a part of their household. And it was from there that I went to, you know, complete my education. So I attended the Servite Convent School um, of the Assumption, Servite Convent was run by Servite nuns, and I spent 10 years there, which I think made me into a lot of, you know, that training and exposure made me into the person I am today. So that's where I was educated. I left um, there and went on, a, you know, to other to do other things. But to go back to the thing about being, you know, my early years as a child, I really enjoyed my childhood, I would say. Um, I still was very much a part of my family, even though I was living with my aunt and uncle. But I also became a part of a community of people that attended the Brownstone Baptist Church. And I think up to today, we are good friends. So I did have, I think, a good childhood. I was exposed quite a bit, and I, I enjoyed it. It was good. Awesome. What was your career? What was your career aspirations like as a child? What What did you want to do? <laughs> that is really weird because you know I never knew about occupational therapy. It was something that I set out to say because in my day, nobody knew about occupational therapists much. So um, I actually wanted to work as a social worker within the hospital setting. I think in my day, they used to call them almana or something like that. Anyway, um, I had, uh, my aunt had a, a friend, they worked together at this lawyer's office. And she always thought that I wanted to do the same thing that her friend's daughter did. So she arranged for me to come to Kingston to meet with her. And I, she was at the Sir John Golden Rehab Center. That's what it's called now, but it was the Mona Rehab Center at that time. So I went to meet with her 
and realized that what she was was really an occupational therapist. And I'm telling you, I left there that day knowing that I wanted to be an occupational therapist. I didn't know how I was going to do it because you couldn't have it. Um, you couldn't be trained for it in Jamaica. I had to go away. So um, at the time, I was working in the bank, having left school. And um, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to go ahead and apply to all these schools um, in, U in England and the UK. And um, at the same time, I was like, no, I don't really want to do banking until then. And I said, how can I prepare myself for this thing? So I actually went into nursing and I said to myself, if I didn't get through with doing the occupational therapy, I would continue with my training as a nurse. And what really attracted me in the nursing profession was public health nursing. I think that's the area I would have gone into. However, while I was in nursing school, I applied for a scholarship that I saw advertised for occupational therapy. I mean, that was really God's leading. I saw it in the newspaper, I applied, and I received the scholarship. So I went away to the UK to study, and that is how I was able to become an occupational therapist. So I came back to Jamaica and got married, and as I said, started working in different places, and then really felt like I had a call to from God to start this program, and that's what I did, the Macam Child Development Center. That's quite interesting. And you know what's what's funny about it as well? Mm -hmm. Is that the nursing and the, the occupational therapy, it kind of ties in together. So I of guess course. that was a pathway leading you into yeah yeah for sure for sure when i went into school in the uk i was definitely at an advantage in terms of understanding medical conditions because um, i don't know if people realize but occupational therapy is a medical profession and so occupational therapists overall work on helping to develop person's functions after they've experienced some kind of you know loss of function because of injury or they're born with a disability or they have you know some kind of um, experience like a road traffic accident or yeah different types of physical disabilities but also you're equally trained to in the mental health area as well so equally you do half and half. So quite a lot of occupational therapists work in mental health institutions. So we go from the preemie babies right up to the aged, you know, because our function overall is really looking at where there is loss of function as a result of any kind of incident or illness or so on. And then working on an intervention plan that will help that person to be independent again or to carry on with their lives in the best way possible so yeah it is a, a medical um, profession so having gone to nursing school um and doing some of those subjects and so on really really helped me 
So, you know, I know it's all divine guidance. Agreed? I really do. Yes. It is. Now, what was your inspiration in starting Macam? Okay, so I had worked, as I said, um, at the Michael Care Center, Child Assessment and Research and Education Center, um, doing assessments and some amount of interventions. And at some point, I felt that I wanted to work as a developmental specialist. I knew that the earlier I could start with a child who has had some kind of, you know, incident, or as I said, been born with an, a disability, the earlier you start intervention, the better the outcomes. So, um, and eventually went into um, seeking out how I could get a program like that started and eventually did with the help of my husband. And we started that first program with the intention of, you know, um, having early intervention, as I said. But somewhere along the line, I realized again, divine intervention, that the best way to do this early intervention was not to set up, um, you know, a private clinic somewhere where children were just paid to come for intervention, but to have an all-day program, which would, you know, be an early, early childhood program. And in the early childhood program, we would be offering early intervention. So that's how, you know, I shared the idea with my husband. He really supported me all the way. And then we got it going. Um, and then I thought again, we should have this program inclusive because we don't want children to be separated in their early you know, experiences of life. We want them to be with their peers. So that was another journey now. <laughs> I mean, to have an inclusive center where children with special needs of one kind or another would be interacting with their peers who are typically developing so I'm telling you that was a really break into the cultural norm of the time. It was not easy to do. And I had to rely a lot on my family and friends who were having young families at the time. And they supported me by sending their children to Macam. Um, and eventually, you know, we started to break the barriers down um but it, as i said it was easy i would watch people coming in we were in the new kingston area to begin with so a lot of people would have found it convenient to drop off their children but once they came in and they were visiting this new nursery preschool kind of program and then they saw children with special needs and they were out again you know so yeah it took us a little time to break that um barrier down but thank God, many years later, we still have an inclusive program and we have children who deliberately send their children there because they want to, for them to have that experience of being in a true environment because that's what the world is made up of, all kinds of different people. 
and we are not defined by a disability. We are defined by the fact that we are human beings and that we can, you know, enjoy life together. And I think this is how this inclusion experience has built um, people's attitudes over time, changed people's attitudes to be a lot more positive. So, yeah, that is how I got started. I had to visit a lot of the, you know, doctors as well because um, I wanted people to be referring children to Macam. So I met with several pediatricians. I can remember Dr. Gray. A lot of people might not remember Dr. Gray from the 70s. Um, and we had Dr. Royce, who is still working at Kids Clinic. I think he started Kids, Kids Clinic. But we had some, you know, persons who really supported us, some neurologists like Dr. Tapo. And then we brought on board a few clinicians, a few, sorry, um, therapists who were around at the time to come in and to do their therapy at Macam. So the children would be receiving therapy right there, not needing to leave to go somewhere else. And that is still the way we are trying to operate these 37 years later. So that's baby, you know, in a, in a nutshell. But I saw the need and I responded to it as the Lord gave me, you know, direction. You just mentioned Dr. Topman. Do you know that she was the person when my parents were looking for a school? Okay. Who recommended us? My time. See, I know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> okay. Because, yeah. you know, at the time, I think she and Dr. Gray were the only really known um, pediatric neurologists around as, you know, from that time. I mean, you have a lot more persons now, um, but at that time, they were the main ones. And as I said, thankfully, they supported me in what I was doing because they saw the need for what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. The institution is very historic. The institution is very historical. Do you know that? No, I didn't think of it that way. It <laughs> is. Well, in my opinion. All right. Good, good. Yeah. And what I love about what I love about it is that it is as you said it is inclusive because that's where my love for inclusion started Wonderful. um just seeing just seeing other other children like me mm -hmm. who are similar to me who have challenges but is also accepted that's right and so it should be I mean, yeah. look at the young lady you have grown up to be. So if we don't have early start programs that help children to understand, you know, how, how valuable their contribution can be and to help them to also develop their strengths among the weaknesses, because there are some things that are going to be very difficult for the, our children to go on to do maybe, but that again, is a way for us to say, okay, there might be limitations in this area and that area, but certainly 
in terms of how you can make an, a contribution, there's always a place for each child, I believe, to do the best that they can. Some children, you know, in terms of their um, prognosis, I guess, um, it's not as good, right? And we have to acknowledge that. And this is one of the things that we learned at Macam, um, that, you know, we had to be very clear about the population of children that we were thinking that we can help and intending to help. So sometimes um, the children, even now talking about the program that we have now, there are some children who, when they come in for their assessments, they fall in the moderate to severe range. And, you know, that a, a, an inclusive classroom is not necessarily the best place for those children. So we do have a small program with 12 children right now who we try to push from being in that moderate area of diagnosis to being, you know, more moderate to mild. So if these children get the interventions that they need, because that's a crucial thing. That's something we've come to realize that in terms of the outcomes, children who get the early intervention, I'm not talking about stimulation now. It's not about putting them somewhere and having them play and exposed to toys and so on. I'm talking about specific interventions for the area of need for the area of, you know, limitation, then those children do much better than the children who get nothing at all. And so that has been our focus at Macam. Give them a good start. Help them to realize what their strengths are, you know, and, and, and to push on as much as possible. So when you are leaving Macam at seven, Richelle, that's what, you know, you were reminding me, you should have had a pretty good idea of, you know, who you are. And, and that is something we really want people to know. So you have gone on to do so well. And, and that is a testimony for what can happen for persons who can get that early intervention. But you cannot be everything to everybody. So the children who are more severe, moderate to severe, those children, we offer them the therapeutic interventions, but we can't necessarily offer them school placement because you have to be able to be within a classroom um, where you can function with support, of course, um, but you have to be able to be a part of a classroom setting. So, yeah, that's been a focus for us that we've had to really look at that and to see where the need can be or the change can happen as much as possible for each child. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you are correct. Um, I mean, at, when you're leaving Macam, you are supposed to have a sense of who you are and also be aware of other persons in your environment. Because I mean, moving on to Hope Valley, where we had a mixture of able-bodied and yeah. well, a mixture of able-bodied and special needs. For the first two years at Hope Valley, I was in the special unit mm -hmm. and 
it really helped. Um, I was able to lend assistance at my young age, lend assistance to other persons who also had special needs. And then moving to Mona now, where in my cohort, I was the only person with a disability. Well, it started off with two, mm -hmm. but then the other person moved to other school. And so I was left. But what others can tell you about me is that wherever the, the special needs kids were, that's where I wanted to be. Just, okay. to, just to help them out, to understand them. Because I think when you don't have a disability or when you're normal and walking around, unfortunately, you won't be able to experience or have an idea of yeah. firsthand of what it is like. And then, so now when other people come to me, I'll be like, oh, this person is pasty or this person, I'm like, okay, yes, we all can agree that all of us have a little sauciness to us, but at the same time, you don't know what somebody is going through on a daily basis. So my time really put me into that mindset, mind frame, to be there to show up for, for others. Yes. Like, I'll, I'll be the one... Um, going around like you have lunch yet what do you want for lunch i'll get i'll get yeah. presents like i just love helping and i think macam is where this whole aspect of service for me started wonderful i'm really happy to hear that and you know you just said something about you know some people might misinterpret person's behaviors, the children's behaviors. You know, only this morning I was talking with a parent um, doing a consultation and she was telling me that her child who seemed to be on the autism spectrum can be aggressive sometimes. And as we talked, we were able to realize that he's doing this in a way um, as a defensive mechanism. So whenever he feels threatened in any way, or he's angry, he finds that outlet, you know, to become a little aggressive. And she has to be teaching him how to be calm and, and how to self-regulate because that is all he knows is to, you know, lash out. And so, yeah, there are many things that, you know, a person with a disability, like all of us, we have to learn as well about self-control, anybody at all. We have to learn about how to regulate our emotions, how to cope with the challenges that we meet upon in life without hitting out at somebody else. So, yeah, your attitude of caring and understanding definitely would have gone a long way. Great. Wonderful. And this is Mona High you're talking about, right? Yes, Mona High School. Right, because Mona High School was specifically built as well, I think, to accommodate yeah. students with physical 
But did you have any other students there, or mainly just physical disabilities? Mainly physical, but at, during my tenure, I think we had somebody with autism, mild um, autism there, but he didn't, I think he got transferred earlier. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the other children weren't able to understand him or they would mock him or mm -hmm. something and just like yeah. so after a while i did not see him regularly so i guess he got transferred right to somewhere else you, you know one of the things as you have said that though the, the younger the children are these young children that are at macam like when you were there right you realize that there's nothing prejudicial about their behaviors at all. Children in their early innocence accept each other for who they are. And they don't put, you know, any kind of baggages there in terms of relating to these children. They see them as another human being. But unfortunately, as children go to be older, and especially at the high school level, you know, this is something that would probably come out there because they don't understand. It is it's a matter of being ignorant about persons, you know, differences, because that's what we all present with, differences of one kind or another. So when you come into a situation and you have someone, and in this case, it would have probably been one child among the many, right and they see the differences and they cannot accept the difference as something that you know is also normal typical and so their way is to strike out at it and that is how we are as human beings so you know i'm really hoping because i know you said that inclusion is something that you really feel strongly about and i think that as a nation we need to move forward in that whole area of helping our fellow citizens to see each other just as we are with valuable contributions to make to our society maybe differently how we are doing it but we can all make a contribution and it's all about you know accepting each other for who we are made by god made in his image for a purpose so yeah, I just, as you said that, it just struck me because at Macan, you don't see those prejudices. Children don't know about it. That is something they learn later on. Yes, correct. If you should describe yourself in three words, what would they be? Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking me that one now? Oh Lord, I don't know. I'm. I think I am persistent. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be central to who I've come to know myself to be. I don't give up on things easily. So if I really feel that I am led to do something. I am going to continue to do it against all odds if I believe that that's what I'm to do. So challenges 
don't really daunt me that way. I really trust the Lord to take me through the experiences. So persistence is one. Um, I think, Michelle, what is the other one? I think I'm friendly. I think I'm friendly. I think you uh, are. Well, I hope so. I think people <laughs> they can, um, you know, relate with me quite well. I try to be like that. Um, and I think if I was to say, I don't know if that's who I am, but what a thing that is very strong for me in life is the whole thing of humility. And that yes. is something that I learned quite early in my life from, you know, my family, both families, my parents, that side of the family, and my aunt and uncle. It was always about service and humility. As I had an aunt who fed all the old people around the place <laughs> and, you know, mm -hmm. to make them comfortable and so on. And, and I got caught up in doing that as well, you know. So all of that kind of helped to frame my life. Yeah, so service with humility, I think, is very important for me. And the persistence. And I'm hoping that I am friendly enough, you know, approachable enough for anyone to feel yeah, that they can relate with me. Yeah. Lots of words. But, yeah, I hope you find the three in that. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. Do you still do therapy? Yes, I do. You know, um, you know, there are not many occupational therapists around, as you know. So mm -hmm. there are only two of us who are pediatric occupational therapists. And so it's very difficult for me to pull back, right? I do have persons working with me who I have been able to you know, train and some have had basic training in rehabilitation therapy and so on. So, yes, and I actually am the clinical team leader still at MACAM because we have a full clinical team with OTs and speech therapists and ABA therapists and clinical psychologists and so on. So I tend to, I, ha I am that person that guides the clinical team. So, yes, I do interventions, I do assessments um, still. But, yeah, it's time for me to retire. <laughs> I would love to be able to do that. I, I think I should probably actually say that I'm also still the executive director for the McCann Center. So that is something that I will continue to do as long as I can. But I'm looking forward for, you know, other persons to come in and to make their contribution so that long after I'm gone, I'm hoping that McCann will continue to be and to serve the children of Jamaica and beyond because we do have a resource center that does quite a bit of educating the wider public and you know running webinars and creating material, disseminating materials. Um, the school 
um, you know, continues to give service to the children. Right now, I think they have about 72 children um, registered there. So yeah, there is a lot that Macam can still continue to do um, in all of these different spheres. So yeah, that's my, my real hope that things will continue even after I've gone and even do better than when I was there because that's what you hope will happen. People will come in with new ideas and expand the thought and expand the, the, the um, you know, the, the whole vision for the place. All right, is that enough for you? Awesome. Yes, I think it is. Okay, but I need to tell you I'm very proud of you as well. I need it, so go right ahead. <laughs> you are something else. Yeah, so you know, I mean, I know you are. You have plans ahead, and you are a young lady. And I, I just really know that you are going to be a success because even just coming on board and doing this kind of podcast to, you know, increase awareness and so on, I, I think it's marvelous. So I do wish you all the best as you continue on your journey. I might be coming to the end of mine, but people like yourselves will continue to do your work and do it well. So I really do wish you every blessing, Michelle. And I, I know that you will go on from strength to strength. Good for you. Thank you so much. It means a lot coming from me. Yeah, man. Uh, oh, I have I have one more question. Mm -hmm. What was the inspiration behind the motto? Oh, it's no small thing to influence a child so fresh yes. from the hand of God. Yes. Well, you know, funny enough, I didn't find that motto. I had someone working with me at Macam as a Peace Corps worker because in the early days, the specialized um, staff that we needed, some of them we were able to access through Peace Corps or the Canadian Voluntary Program, QSO, or through the Japanese program. That's how we've survived over the years. And this lady, she left in 2000, I think. She spent three years at Macam or four years. And, you know, we were looking for a motto. And she said to me, I came across this motto. I, I, you know, I know it, it belongs to someone else. So I don't even remember the name of the person who coined it. But I thought, oh, my goodness, this is just what I need um, for us to capture what we know that we are there to do. We see each child as a blessing from God created in his image. And we see ourselves as one of the first influencers of their lives, you know? So when we say it's no small thing to influence, we believe in the magnitude of that, that job, that mission. It's no small thing to influence a child so fresh from the hands of God. That's a great privilege. So yes, that's that's where it came from. 
Wonderful. I actually, I'm in love with that matter. Like each time I hear it, I'm just like, yeah, that's just exactly what you're doing. And that's what we as human beings should always do. That's right. That's an awesome responsibility we have in bringing up children, you know, to bring them in the right way, in the fear of God and to help them to accomplish all that they can. From the get-go, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Are you still in touch with your past students? I am with some of them, not as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, every now and then I come across one of them mm-hmm. um, their, or their parents. Um, and funny enough, as you asked that, last week we were doing a radio program. As you said, you heard it. And one of them who was now in his, he was probably, he's probably about 35 now, around there. He turned up at the center with his father. And he was one of the first children to come to Macab. Um, He was on the autism spectrum, still is, but has done extremely well. I think he was trained as a lab assistant and um you know going on to do other things now because he wasn't in that job again but he just turned up and every time once in a while i come across him you know and also some other persons but yeah i I guess there are lots of them out there but i'm not seeing them as often as i would love to what we need to do is to plan a reunion you see how about that michelle Plan a reunion and see who turns up. I was thinking about that. Yes. I was thinking about that. That would be good. So I I just want to say thank you for blazing the trail of influence for the special needs community in Jamaica. I think, well, not I think, I know Makiam has from my own experience, it has a place. It has a place in Jamaica and it will forever have a place. And I just want to see Macam continuously grow. Mm-hmm. And I ask for God's guidance in everything that Macam does. Because mm-hmm. the work that you guys do is exceptional. Right. We, we try. We try yeah we try but thank you for that and yes Mm -hmm. i have every confidence that they will go on from strength to strength as i said even after i've gone long afterwards you know people will still be able to benefit from what my family is all about what kind of do you remember what kind of student i was I know, you know, I was talking to Auntie Kelly about you the other day, you know. Auntie Kelly said to me, she said, I actually taught her for a year. Yes, she did. Uh, And she's now the principal. Right. Like that, when I found out that, that got me so excited. (laughs) Yes. Well, she went on our journeys to study and do all kinds of things, but came back to Macam eventually. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we were looking at talking about you and how independent you were, you know. Mm-hmm. So I am not surprised to see that you are where you are. 
because you were a very motivated young lady and very much wanting to do things for yourself, you know, in spite of having a disability. So, yeah, that's what we remember about you. So we are we are happy to see where you are. Focus, that's wonderful to hear. Focused and independent and ready to move on with life. Good for you. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, man, it's truth. That's the truth. So it's funny you asked me because we were talking about you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. I really enjoyed my time there. Good. Good. Do you remember yeah. any of these children who were there with you? And do you, at all, in any time at all, do you meet up with them anywhere, you know? Occasionally uh, or intentionally or what? Um, I, as you know, Faith and I moved to the same primary school. Okay. She, yeah. she was there for two years and then she moved. Um, or she was there for quite some time and then she moved. But mm -hmm. apart from her, I don't have contacts with anybody else. We oh. still come not as much. We still communicate mm -hmm. every now and then. Right. But, yeah. And she went. She went to. Uh, she went to Arden. Right. I, I do remember that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then I. Rem I don't have any contacts with him, but I remember. Dennis Rushton's son. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. What was his name again? Alex? Was it Alex. Alex? Yes, Alex. Alex. Yeah. I, I think his mom, I saw his mom somewhere, you know, she was telling me what he was doing. Um, I think he might be in university at the time, not at this time now. I'm not too yes. sure. Right. Yes. I've seen her now and then, not him. She promised me to let, you know, make sure he comes to visit. But that's what I hear from all the parents, and then you all don't come. So yeah. we have to Because we, we are all, we're all so busy, everybody. Yes. Uh, I know, I know. I appreciate yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, the last time I came through that gate was 2008. What? Oh, yeah. my goodness. No, 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 no. We need to do something about that. We definitely have to do some kind of reunion. You know, we tried that probably about 10 years ago or more. I remember now we had some kind of a fair and then mm -hmm. um, persons were invited to come back to visit with us. So that is something for us to plan for, maybe going up to the 40th anniversary because that's not too long away. But yeah, we really need to bring people back in who yes, are not own persons. And we do have children who are grandparents, who, whose grandparents, no, we are the grandparents. So they, they, their, their grandparents brought their parents to us, right? Yes. So we have grandchildren at Macam. Because when I, when I was, when I was listening to the, the radio program last week, I heard something like that and I was just like, look yeah. at legacy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> look of at course. legacy. Yeah, it would be because if we are going 37 years now, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? 
those persons are likely to have gone on and gotten married and are having children and so on and they have moved on yeah yeah for sure is there anything else you'd like to ask me i mean it's been 16 years <laughs> uh, well what has your journey been like has it been very challenging or you know have you been able to basically get to do what you've wanted to do each step of the way or is it just like a lot of struggles um a mixture of both mm -hmm. especially i'm in a season of my life now especially where college is concerned okay because where i am they don't accept persons with disabilities okay. and it has been taking a toll on me. Oh, they don't accept it or they, they're not accepting? Uh, no, they don't, have, they don't have the accommodations too. That's what, that's what I was going to say. Yes, so, for the accommodations. Yeah, so they do online mm -hmm. and it's been it's been taking a toll on me. I can't wait to finish. My, right. my, my, my friends keep on reminding me that I have time. Right, right. I mean, as we speak now, recording this, I am, I am on a leave of absence. Okay. Because of some, some chaotic, I like to say chaotic, Mm -hmm. Some chaotic academic stuff. Right. And so yeah. I'm I'm taking the break and so that's why I've been able to have the time on my hand to do this. To do the podcast. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm sorry to hear that because we are supposed to be moving forward. Now yeah. the disability act that was passed and um, you know, it's now mandated that if you are, you know, having a business, if you do have an institution where people are coming and going, whatever it is, you have to make it disability friendly. People are going to be given a period of time when they are going to have to make that happen. So even if it is in you know, a tertiary situation or schools, they are going to have to look to see how they are going to make that environment as disability friendly as possible. Because persons should not be prevented from pursuing their lives because of barriers like these, physical barriers or attitudinal barriers, whatever. So. This is something I, I think I will encourage you with because I know that there's going to be given a period of time for people to make adjustments because there is a disabilities tribunal and people can be carried before the tribunal for making it difficult for other persons with disabilities to access what they have for the public because as long as you say it is for the public, you cannot then make it difficult for persons with disabilities to do, you know, their business or, or to come to consult with you or to go to school, whatever it is. So 
it's something that is going to have to happen. Tertiary institutions are going to have to make sure it happens. Or else they are going to be in trouble with the law. Yeah, I mean, I have I have six more months left, I think. I think that should be... Seeing that I'll have to redo redo the another semester, I should have six months left. But I mean that that was a shocker for me, and I'll tell you why. Um, coming from Macam, coming from Hope Valley, coming from Mona, I'm used to being on the road. That's right. I, I live. I live in the rural rural aspect of the island and I enjoyed the the whole journey from this side of the island to Macam, which is not really far, about the five minutes, and back and forth for these many years. Right. Then the um I don't really speak about this as much, but when I left Mona I actually, because I have an interest in media, I did heart. Okay. I, well, I attempted heart because I did six years at Mona, was intended to do seven, but mommy said no. So I, I, because I wanted something to do, somebody suggested heart. That did not work out because of the same because of the same accommodation thing, and then COVID hit. So everybody is forced to stay in. So I guess that's the blessing in disguise. Why I'm even here, right? Because of COVID, and so I started in. I started in COVID. Started college in COVID. And yeah, that's why I am here. But Mona was Mona was fantastic. Right. Mona was fantastic. I mean, I made some really good connections there. Mm -hmm. Um, Hope Valley too. Mm -hmm. It's really been fantastic. So I guess or I'll say, yes, I'm having challenges. No, we're really in college right mm -hmm. now. Right. Like, yeah. I keep I keep on saying to people that if I should make a recommendation, I'll say, do not go to this specific institution. Mm. Because, and they have a very good program, don't get me wrong. Right. But it doesn't make any sense. Because if you are going to accept a person with disability, you have to make the accommodation. And I think what I encourage parents to do is that when you're looking for acad academic things, institution, just look, just go into the schools and look what it is like. But the physical. Physical. You're yes. talking about the physical, the physical layout. Yes. Okay. And then you can make your decisions there. Yeah. Because it doesn't it, it doesn't make any sense. 
because I all right. So my I'm an extrovert, right? Mm-hmm. Full blown extrovert, but I also have introvertedness to mm-hmm. me. So I've been an only child for sixteen years of my life. Mm-hmm. I know what I know what it is like to be an only child, to be in my own company. I actually enjoyed my own company, but I also enjoyed going out and socializing. Like it, it gives me life. Even having a simple conversations like this, yeah, actually, and that is the reason why I started the podcast because I was sitting on the floor in my room, and I just wanted to have conversations, right. I just wanted to have conversations and then I get a drape from God, I'll say, to say to me that if you want to be in media, you have to use your voice. Right. Like, because I have this thing where I usually say, and I, I don't really like hearing me speak. You don't? Yeah. I did, oh. like two, two years ago. Mm. I didn't actually like hearing this. I know that I speak clear and I know that I have a very good diction, but I just did not like hearing it. Oh. And so he, I'll say he, because it's really guidance. Um, Yeah, so it's really, this that I'm doing is really practicing. And now that I've opened the door to do podcasting and all, I've fallen in love with my voice. Right. Like, I'll be like, you really have a good voice. And then everybody that comes around me mm-hmm. will be like, you really speak well. Okay. And I'm just like, hmm, okay. But yeah, so that's why I started the podcast because I wanted to have conversations and because I felt like nobody was speaking to us mm. in the special in the special needs community. Everybody was speaking to successful persons. But when you look at these successful persons, they don't really speak a lot about special needs and chronic illness yeah. that all, like the inclusion wasn't the, I wasn't seeing the inclusion yeah. Yeah. And, so, sure. mm-hmm. and so I said to myself okay let me just do something that would speak to persons with chronic illnesses like lupus endometriosis all of those stuff right let, let me actually do that and let me incorporate since i have experience special needs right to just spread awareness if nothing else just spread awareness to let people know that you can live you can live a normal life you can be successful even if you have a disability right right when it's about changing perceptions as well, mm-hmm. you know, that's really what it is. Because 
when people are able to be a part of your world as you do these podcasts, they will appreciate just how much you are just an individual like everybody else and how you, you know you have talents um giftedness like everybody else but you know a big part of we talk about physical barriers especially when you're you're you know in a wheelchair or so and you have problems with access but there are lots of barriers that are created by the attitudes of people as well mm -hmm. so in, by doing your podcast, you're helping to change some of the attitudinal, you know, biases because people are hearing you as an intelligent lady having your conversations. So yeah, mm -hmm. people tend to form opinions which you know they very rarely know a lot of about. It's really about their own perceptions. So I thank you for helping to change that. And that was my mission at Macam as well. We need to have people who recognize, and I'm seeing that there are parents who are coming and going now with their children without having, you know, some of the hangups that they had years ago, you know. Mm -hmm. So things are changing, but it's not changing fast enough. And right. So, I always do that. Yeah. So, but anyway, as I said, I would encourage you to by just saying that the act has now been made law. And mm -hmm. people are not going to be able to get away with saying, I am sorry, we don't have the physical access for you. You know, And if you go into an established environment um, and find that there is discrimination, there are persons that you can now appeal to through the um, Disabilities Tribunal. And that is through JCPD, and I'll put a plug in for that now. Jamaica yes, please do. Persons with disabilities, JCPD. They mm -hmm. are on Ripon Road. They are below where the NIS office is. They have moved, and yeah. they are a body that you can do your registration with. And yes, I'm a member. Right, they can do different things to help persons with many different types of disabilities, um, but they have been charged now to make sure they're a corporate entity now. They have mm -hmm. to make sure that the Disability Act is really enacted and yeah, that you know, the provisions are there for persons in the country. And that, as I said, the tribunal is now a part of it as well. So if there are issues to do with how you are able to access you know your own needs you can make that um complaint and they will use the law to make sure that things happen okay so there is hope i think about you know uh, making the changes in the right direction for persons with disabilities in jamaica and you are helping to spread the good news that you know things can happen you can make the change it is very much also dependent on individuals seeing themselves as having the capacity for change right yeah and i'll tell you this much it is it is fulfilling yeah i'm sure it is i'm sure it is it is like i really enjoy doing it right 
really really enjoy just having the conversations right allowing persons without judgment allowing persons to share their story without judging them because that's another that's another thing too when when we speak people tend to to judge us right so i'm really trying to build this safe space mm -hmm. to give them a voice to speak wonderful all right good for you yes ma'am miss henry and we look forward to hearing a lot more about you as time goes by because i know we will yes we will yes wonderful so thank you for stopping by for sharing your journey and how you have been influentially blazing the trail for special needs children in jamaica thank you for having me it really was my pleasure i enjoyed the conversation yeah okay always so, all right so do not forget okay i'll end the recording mm -hmm. now Until next time, my friend, I am Richard T. Henry, reminding you to let your light so shine before men that they might see your good work and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And remember that somebody loves you.